0: To digging in the dome, Kevin has made it back to the confines of Six Scully Studios. I can't even say it in pit in the lovely, picturesque Royersford, Pennsylvania. I've sanitized the bejesus out of the studio, and thankfully, I'm back to being very healthy. Thankfully, thankfully. Interestingly, our guest today, who was booked literally days after I was diagnosed with COVID. Um, is uh, got a very interesting um, story. And we're going to talk about that. So and, and a very interesting dude. So let me give you the rundown. So David Paris is a seven time cabaret dance champion, a finalist on America's Got Talent, and co-director of acrobatic dance company Paradiso Dance with Zoe Klein, his partner. He has performed globally in 26 countries, produced 13 instructional videos. He is a director of social emotional learning at MS88 and has taught in New York City since 1993. He is a life coach, a facilitator of nonviolent communication, a classroom trainer with Outward Bound, and a circle keeper with Planning Change. David Paris is also the author of four books uh, for adolescents and the creator of emotional learning curriculum for his schools. His new book is called A COVID Story, one that I can relate with, and it's available at DavidParris.com or Amazon. Please join me in welcoming David Paris. David, welcome to Digging in the Dome. Welcome, so sir. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you so much. And Chris, you had COVID? I certainly did. Yeah. yeah I mean, I didn't have it like you had it. <laughs> <laughs> I had the, I'm a little bit tired. I cough a little bit, but other than that, I'm okay. You have a very, very different story, which we're definitely going to get into. It's pretty crazy, man.
1: Yeah, I, I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum of people. I actually was as sick as you can get and not die. And they, they actually told my family, yeah, he's not, uh, he, he, he's gone. And um, I made a big comeback.
0: That's and awesome, you sure man. did, man. And we're very, very happy. And, and I have to say your story and not just the COVID part, um, I mean, like your life really resonate with me. My sister has been a teacher for like, you know, 14 years and she'd been in counseling. Um,
2: my and, father was an educator too. My dad, right. my dad was Stoop. a high school, was a high school teacher for 30 plus years uh, you wanna, um, in New Jersey. Wildwood, New Jersey,
0: Walwood, New Jersey, the home of what basketball coach at that high school? Oh, that would be NBA
2: champion. Frank Vogel that's right. uh, was, uh, my dad was his high school history teacher. <laughs> that's amazing. That's yeah. so cool. What was he like back then? He was, he was very, as super chill as he is right now, as an adult, he was the same way growing up. Um, He's incredibly laid back. He's focused. Uh, He stays off of social media, which I applaud wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, He's just a very down to earth guy. I mean, if you get the praise from NBA superstars like Paul George and LeBron James, And guys yeah. at those level that say yeah. he's the coolest level headed down to earth and smart individual from a basketball's perspective. That's just the way
1: he is. And unexpected, right? People didn't think he was going to do so great. Yeah, Rangers.
2: correct. Yeah, because he started with the Pacers. Yep. Then he went to Orlando and that was just a disaster. And people thought he basically had flunked out of the NBA at that point. Yeah. And, Orlando, you know, and disaster
1: it, for everyone, right?
2: Yeah. Yep. And yep. then he worked his way in, in back and, and got the Lakers coaching job and it's history. I mean, he's an NBA champion now. And it's funny too, because, you know, he had a kind of a similar past you where, you know, you see a person that's got uh, this, this weird career trajectory and arc. Like he was on Letterman when he was in, uh, I don't know if he was, I think he was like a freshman in high school when Letterman used to do stupid human tricks, um, that bit. The Letterman used to do. He was on there. Frank Vogel was at, when he was like a freshman and, an, and he spun a basketball on the end of a toothbrush while he brushed his teeth. He had a, it's man, so cool. Yeah, oh, it was man. really cool. I did that hand motion, that didn't look right.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I was doing this on oh Jesus. He got whoa. kicked off Letterman. Not, my
2: God. That is not a stupid human trick. That's a fantastic human <laughs> trick. <laughs>
0: Who's tricking anything? I know what I'm doing. That's how we get podcast viewers around that's here. That's right. Yeah, guess what? Guess how we're gonna promote this? thing no i'm just kidding um so uh hey uh, but you know uh, you know teaching is something that i think is uh, a calling you know kind of what led you there like what what got you into teaching did that happen before the dance um like because you are acclaimed like worldwide well renowned down dancer was that something that happened prior or 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 after
1: definitely prior i wasn't studying religion in college i really thought oh, wow. i could find uh, i could find god i went to india to find my guru mystic um and i went to hampshire college very hippie crazy college that you do anything mm-hmm. so i studied i did all my credits studying mantras with the uh, gurus and i discovered i'm really bad at that i'm a horrible <laughs> meditator <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> you know, i was really much more interested in debating about philosophy and life than than i was sitting and staring at a tree sure. and i realized boy th- 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 this religion thing's not for me and in india i discovered what i do like is people I like thinking. So I said, Oh, I'm going to be a school teacher that senior year. I know I said, I switched majors. I did most work I ever did in my life. I joined teach for America Mm -hmm. and then taught in the South Bronx for three years. And that launched my teaching career. The one of the best things I've ever done.
0: Are you from the Bronx? Is that where you grew oh,
1: up? From Brooklyn. I don't have an accent, so it sounds a bit. Yeah, no, funny. I was like, I'm like,
0: you didn't, say, I didn't get the New York. accent. He, he didn't
1: go, hey, oh, hey, forget
0: yeah, about it. Hey. Hey, come on, man. <laughs> you know,
2: as all New Yorkers talk, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jesus Christ! The moment, if you start fucking with me, it's a different story.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, that, exactly. It came
1: out. Yeah, It's it yeah,
0: yeah, 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 authentic exactly. then, right? Yeah, Derek's it's coming like, out now.
2: It's like the, the family guy, uh, the oh, boopity hey, <laughs> That's how everybody <laughs> talks in New York.
0: Uh, he had the mustache. That was well, great. Cr- uh, we've
2: both spent time in, in New York. Chris, Chris's, uh, uh, company headquarters are in Rochester, New York. Uh, He's been great. in and out of the New York. I actually worked in Manhattan myself for three years. Um, commuting from North Jersey to yep. Manhattan, um, and I actually still have an office at Rockefeller center right now. Um, so both, both very familiar with the New York, uh, so area. you didn't escape New
1: York yet, or you kind of did, is that right?
2: Kind of did. Well, I mean, COVID kind of forced it upon me as it, yeah. I'm sure it did a lot of people that were living in the New York area. Um, yeah. you know, that you were kind of forced out of New York if you weren't living directly in New York. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was a commuter, I was a commuter by trade anyway. So it was, it was pretty easy for me to go to the remote route because I wasn't in there full time. I mean, you know, I just, I just have a place that I can go and work in New York now if I ever need to, but I haven't been there. I haven't been in my New York office probably since, uh, December of 2019. Wow. Wow. And you're still paying rent. Um, yeah, my office, my, my company's offices are still there. Um, wow. you know, they're, they're basically technically my company's offices never closed. They, they were said, as long as you're following state guidelines, if the state says that you can go in there and you want to go in there, you can, if you don't want to, you don't feel comfortable, you don't have to. Well, okay. That's one of the really cool you. things that my company did was they were kind of ahead of the curve with the whole working remotely thing. They That's always good. embraced that you work when you want to work, as long as you get your job done, where and when you want to work is up to you. As long as you as long as you're making us money, we don't care how you do it. You work 20 hours and you make us money, fine. You work 50 hours and you make us money, fine too. We don't care. Uh, as long as you're it's doing, <laughs> as long as you're being Being responsible to our clients and being responsible to the company, we don't give a shit how you do it. And it's a really cool philosophy. Um, And we actually just got mentioned. We we made the Forbes top 100 companies to work for. That's In 2021. That's fantastic. Um, But enough about my nonsense. We're interviewing you.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, I was going to say the one last thing that's interesting about um, New York and us is that we had the opportunity before they uh, destroyed it to play at CBGB's four times. Yes. Yeah. Hell Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so cool. that means a lot to me. Yeah, you know, all right. Anybody below thirty-five, probably, or maybe thirty, probably doesn't get that. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but it's unique. Cool. For those people who don't know, that was the underground venue in the eighties and nineties and. Um, I guess would they closed down in two thousand something? Uh, right? yeah, I can't remember. Yeah,
2: so we last played there in two thousand and seven. Yep. Um. So somewhere shortly thereafter, so two thousand and are you saying that we caused it to get closed? Um, possibly. Wow it may have been falling down around us the last time we played. Yeah. <laughs> it
0: wasn't in good shape. I mean, I'll think I, I would, I would probably gather that it was never really supposed to be in good shape. It's had that punk vibe and not really supposed to be, you know, a place that you you're going to. Yeah, th- yeah. That
1: was, you could, if it wasn't
0: dirty, it wouldn't be C- CBGB. Yeah. A hundred percent.
2: Yeah. And we're, we're actually there. Um, There was a uh CBGB's book that was made Um, and our bass player, was brilliant enough that when he created our stickers, he made them out of reflective tape. So when they took pictures of CBGBs, the walls and everything like that, the flash caused our band sticker to gl- glow like, like it was a glow in the dark and in the CBGBs book. It's really cool. That yeah. is very cool. Yeah. So Chris, for some, just for some background, so it's, we're meeting each other for the first time. Indeed. Chris and I have known each other since second grade. Mm-hmm. Um so. w- we um were in a band together for 17 years. Mm-hmm. Um just so happens we're both in our forties now and we literally live two miles from one another. Yep. And started this podcast when um the pandemic started we're both bored out of our minds uh chris actually started it himself and it sounded like a weird manifesto so uh, yeah first episode first episode is gonna be like one of those lost tapes that like people like have you ever hear
0: that it is like me just really ranting it's not it's it's but i i still contend that there is funny in there it's just weird and funny
2: so chris invited me on as a guest and I've overstayed my welcome for several months now.
0: <laughs> several months I'm coming off a year. No, but it's uh it's been fun and uh yeah, we we So
2: now we get to uh interview cool incredibly people. interesting people like such you. as yourself. Yes. Um and so enough about us um talking more about you. I kind of wanted to talk about the dancing with our excuse me, America's got talent thing. Um, because you could have been on dancing with the stars, to be honest, oh, yeah, if you wanted for sure. to be. Um hundred percent. But um from the America's got talent thing. How'd that all kind of play out? Cause that's kind of where your, uh, you know, weird trajectory kind of started. You'd always been an into, were you always into dancing before you got yeah, to, you get into to that was, um, or, or mm-hmm. was it kind of like, I want to do this now that I'm into
1: dancing. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. America's got talent changed my life uh, for the better and nothing will ever replace those moments. I performed on stage. Um, the, I've, usually our shows are very good if i might say and usually we are we we gauge success by having everybody stand at the end and if everybody doesn't stand at the end we, we don't feel happy on america's got talent and the first show we did everybody stood within 10 seconds of us performing
2: i watched <laughs> the video fought. yeah they sure did <laughs> actually amazing. actually david hasselhoff yeah. stood before everybody else mm-hmm. if we're being honest yeah so you had the hoff therefore you had me
1: yes my, <laughs> yeah, that's right. my mother wasn't the audience super depressed in life and within 10 seconds of me uh, getting that standing ovation in the middle of the show she got up from her seat never really couldn't walk and ran down the aisle security had to hold her back saying that's my son that's my oh, son that's amazing oh man
0: that's oh, so awesome nothing is more depressing than your, your, your poor mother getting tackled by security <laughs> no, no 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 I- it's my mom oh my god please stop
1: <laughs> my brother was there fortunately I didn't see it um, but afterwards she had the most I had the most amazing time. And then I, for my family, they were just so proud of me. That was the best moment. My mother, the first time she saw me perform, was in Telemundo, and she said, you know, it's really good that you love this. And that's when I knew that I hadn't really made it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and And it was only when I did that show and that show actually was great because then we started performing every weekend around the world for like two, three years. And um, it was spectacular. The thing I, the story I'd love to tell is we did the fourth season. We actually tried out in the second season and, okay. We did not get beyond the associate, associate producer around The very first, when there's like ten thousand people joining it to Jacob Javits Center, mm-hmm. we didn't get beyond the first inter- interview. Oh wow! Because and we performed almost the same exact routine. But, right? It's and you just never know in show business right. when right you just don't know the it's right the right primary. person
0: the right whatever getting you through that next stage then it, you know you carry that trajectory forward right
1: yeah and then what helped is we had a great story the fourth season uh zoe and i uh got married we actually a few years later got divorced but mm-hmm. we did get married we we didn't get married just to do well on the show and have a story it, it was legitimate and um that helped people say oh they're lo-. it was interesting because they kept on having us uh you know they had me massage her feet they had me uh, <laughs> <laughs> right they were <laughs> Uh, all scripted reality it's completely scripted yeah and they're like this beautiful along. this beautiful girl
2: met this creep met this creep and married, married him yeah. it's like rubbing her feet on like, tv
0: hey. <laughs> like <laughs> what the hell are you guys doing
1: if you watch this video, it's kind of funny. They show me eating the a burrito. Sandwich.
0: Yeah, 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 <laughs> so bad, right? saw that. Yes, yes. I was like, dude, so what mad. The, what did they, did they so say like, <laughs> like "Hey, can you eat this burrito?" I don't. am hungry. I know, but could you eat I was the burrito? So hungry. They had us waiting oh. for about eight <laughs> hours, and I knew
1: we were, we were backstage, and I knew that if I get a, if I get, eat something, I know they're going to film me. And but of I was course. like, you know, Chipotle was across the street back then. Chipotle was new. And, um, it was the most delicious burrito. I didn't care. And if, if I looked satisfied, I felt it, you know, I didn't care. Good. They were filming. And <laughs> Good. Unfortunately, that's almost the first thing you see. Yep. When you open up, right?
2: <laughs> yes. So we're we're going to put the video in this. Oh yeah. We're, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah our well. podcast is on YouTube. So we're absolutely yes. going yeah, to put, we'll, put that we'll in there. We'll put that in there
0: for sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Great. It, it was a bit embarrassing, but, um, it was interesting. So we we did the fourth season. We did really well that first show. We made it to the Las Vegas round, uh, also did really well. Uh, it was interesting. They flew us in um, about maybe 200 performers and on three different airplanes and they show us all together and they say one third of you are about to take this plane and go home
0: no way yes oh wow how (laughs) nerve-wracking is that oh
1: my god it's really really bad and Fortunately, we made it to the next round. They scripted that drama. They're very good at making you so upset and so tense that you're going to do something uh, dramatic for TV. Wonderful, wonderful show. Uh, Not so easy to do. The first round was interesting because Zoe and I had actually never seen the show. We just heard about it and we didn't know there were buzzers. So we were like below the (laughs) stage and all of a sudden we hear all these people (laughs) getting buzzed. (laughs) And and they they actually encourage people to boo and they encourage people to cheer. But they really want you to want the crowd to boo you all of a sudden, we hear like thousands of people booing these performers. The buzzer's going off. And we're thinking, uh, this may not be right. But a producer hooked us up. He said, listen, do your best trick first. Get the crowd behind you and you'll be good. Mm-hmm. So Zoe, who's 100 pounds at the time was 240, Zoe lifts me over her back. And then the the crowd loses it immediately. That's when they gave us the standing ovation. They couldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, from that moment forward, it's wonderful as a performer. When you know, it's like when you're a comedian, you tell your first joke and you got the crowd and then, you know, your material afterwards. It's like that feeling
0: is the best. Yeah. Nothing, nothing's worse than when you like throw one out there and you you eat it. And and then all of a sudden you just hear like, (laughs) shh, the silence of of space of
2: the silence of robert kelly hanging up on you yeah, on exactly a call. <laughs> and, then, and
0: then you're sitting there you're like huh um uh, so uh, how about those next thing you oh, know the flop sweats coming it. the
1: next oh. material yeah well if you have a backup plan great but yeah if you get empty as a performer the acrobatic performers like it too when you don't you you do your best trick and you don't you hear crickets in the audience oh. um you you start remembering you're getting paid for this and then that's the only thing that makes you happy <laughs> So you, you
2: like, you're a bigger guy, but you're very, you know, limber acrobatic. Like you say, like you did this like front hand onto her shoulders, like picking you up and, and it was really impressive. The first time I saw it, I was like, I was like, wow, this, this guy is a big dude and he can yeah. really move around really well. Were you like, were you like a cheerleader or, or anything like that before, like that you got before yeah, you got you into the dance, like, because you she seem looked, you like you, especially in that performance, you seem like you have some kind of some like I male seen, cheerleader squad kind of picking girl up in the yeah. air kind of thing.
0: I haven't seen moves like that by a big dude since Harry Crumb did that backflip in Jeffrey Jones' office. I don't remember who's Harry Crumb. No, no
2: John one King. remembers who's Harry Crumb. That's Johnny. <laughs>
0: God forbid anything dangerous should happen. Dangerous? Dangerous? Elliot, I've got a black belt and a keto, and the boots to match. <laughs> 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 ha! Ha!
2: Me! <monthly lineup> ah! <sighs> ah! <sighs> <mouths> <gasps> <gasps> yeah!
0: how dare That's you a comic reference right yes <laughs> yeah. it is john candy did a backflip all right never mind john cannelly definitely didn't do a backflip his stunt man did a backflip well, i don't think <laughs> i they... need to go back and see that <laughs> who's harry crumb fantastic film not <laughs> anyway anyway good
1: to you, sure, sir. I love actually your previous podcast. You do a lot of nostalgic uh, references. Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. We we just um yeah. Kevin decided to introduce the last podcast back to me for some reason. Joni loves Chachi and that <laughs> stupid piano music. I've not been able to get out of my damn head since. I hate you so much. Yes, we're very old and nostalgic. Yes. <laughs> that you know a lot of things too that probably useless knowledge is is high. So to to Kevin's yeah, point, where in, did you get in started I- into this? Yeah.
1: Right. On. In high school, I was a high school football player. It was all city at offensive guard and defensive tackle. So I was really great at destroying people. Nice. Um In college, I became a hippie. I, I found new love and happiness. I gave it all up. But I had that ability to move. I started taking salsa dance classes in, the, in my 20s because I just loved the music. and I love being close to women. It was extraordinary. Well, yeah. And right. And I got to say, I was horrible at it. Like as big as a guy, I'm white. They didn't have much movement and no dance background, but I did have determination. So whenever people rolled their eyes at me and said, uh, "You want me to dance with you? Forget about it," mm-hmm. I was at Latin quarters every single night trying to get good at it. I got decent. Joined the dance team, and the the teacher said to me, "You know, I fight with my wife all the time. Can you be the the, the guy, at the base, the person who throws my part, my wife in the air?" And I was great at it. So then I became a specialist. And the salsa dancers would do the first two minutes of looking great, looking beautiful. I would come on, flip the woman, and uh, walk off stage. And I actually got the most applause of anybody. So I said to myself, you know, forget salsa dancing. I'm just going to do this acrobatic stuff. And I found Zoe. That's my uh, dance partner and eventually wife and eventually ex-wife another story and (laughs) but we love each other Mm -hmm. um very much but uh yeah we we formed something we said you know forget about dance let's make the acrobatics dance itself and was if i look limber and i look good at it that was not natural that was taking hundreds of hours of private ballet lessons um dance movement yeah it it was being able to move like this i can do it now Mm -hmm. uh did not come naturally okay a lot of work
0: that's great. No, so I, actually, I was gonna. It's like I, I, when you said that, I was like immediately. I thought he's able to throw people like midget tossing. He just like chuck like people like, whoosh, like yeah, like miles.
2: Yeah, I, I can understand how you would have a uh, precondition to not not wanting any of that.
0: I'm not that short. <laughs> Go up screw. how will you, I'm five six. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm five, six, two. All right. So, so there you go. So shut up. <laughs> <laughs> how about that? But no, But like, I mean, I mean, it's amazing to be able to see somebody move like that. And, and obviously it's something that's not coming natural to you I, I, footwork and handwork um, in football and especially playing the line. I'm sure that probably came into play a little bit, but still like, t- what a departure to be able to go into ballet and how long did you take ballet uh, decades? Oh, wow. That's <laughs> crazy. It, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah well there's a there's uh,
2: actually a a, a a and i'm sure as a football player you're familiar with this there's there's actually a quite a now more so now than it was in like the nineties and two thousands but a lot of football players take ballet and dance because it gives them such good like movement and you know ability to to you know kind of be more flexible and and mm-hmm. and and agile So I'm sure that your football background helped you, and vice versa. Absolutely, I would
1: say football helped me in being able to throw people in the air. Definitely, (laughs) 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 but it didn't. I would say, and this is advice for anybody who can't move. I actually created a three videos called Salsa for Gringos, and it was because (laughs) that's awesome. (laughs) I was kicked out. This is in 2000. I was kicked out of my salsa dance class in 1997 because my teacher said, I don't want you representing my school. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he said, you're not allowed back until you learn movement because I knew all the I could lead. Um, and I was going out all night and saying, hey, um, I'm a great dancer from the school. I won't mention his name, but he, he was super famous and he said, no, I don't want you saying that. And so I spent months just waiting outside his door trying to figure out the movement and I, I have to say, I didn't learn how to do it. But I learned how to do it well enough that he let me back into class. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I would say, if, if I give advice to anybody, don't do what I did. Uh, don't wait outside of class. Don't even take class. Get private lessons from somebody who knows how to teach you. Don't, not somebody who says, just feel it and do it. Let, for somebody like me, I couldn't. if I felt it, I'd try to move my hips like the beautiful Latin women. And uh, yeah, it wasn't happening. Yeah. People were looking the other way. I felt great, but if you drink enough, you always feel great. So it's <laughs> not, yeah. it's like, well, I, I think
2: that your kind of stick to itiveness, your ability, the, the fact that you didn't have a natural ability of it, but you kind of grinded your way and learned and, and kind of dedicated yourself to it. Um, you know, I, I honestly think that that may that kind of mentality may have lended itself to the reason that you were able to survive the condition that you were in, um, once you contracted COVID and, and we'll, we'll talk obviously more about the yeah, book and, and your story so- behind it, you know, your, your ability to kind of overcome something that you weren't naturally able to, you may, may lend a little bit to the fact that you fought through what you did. Fight well, through.
0: even just conditioning too, for that matter. I mean, like when you're in better physical condition I think that you can recover easier like you I think that it's one of the things that you kind of interspersed throughout um, the book and some things that were interesting about it we'll definitely get into it was you know the fact that you know a lot of people you said hey look I didn't really have a lot of underlying conditions or any underlying conditions for that matter so like I think that that is one of the things and actually to be honest with you that also is a terrifying part about this which is you didn't have underlying conditions and you still had a really really bad experience um so what was it 88 days
1: in the hospital 88 days in the hospital the my brother had covid um and he's probably oh, no gonna give it to me it was the only person um i was in contact with and he was sick for one week he's the same size as me we mm-hmm. both work out a half an hour to two hours a day mm-hmm. um so both overweight but definitely in good condition Shit. right you know, 74 health uh Very good heart rate, whatnot. And he was fine. And I went 88 days in the hospital, 32 days in a coma. The sickest person in, in April in the hospital who actually survived, everybody else died. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was as far gone as you can get. I would say football helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that same determination of just never wanting to give up. I remember a dream where mm-hmm. I realized I was about to die, not even about to die. I, I, people ask me, hey, do you remember anything you're in your coma? Were you actually awake? And I said, absolutely. Now I'm not conscious the way I am now, but you're in a dream world. I've talked to other people who had the same experience. They all talk about their dreams. I remember very early having very clear. I was in a theater and I saw a gatekeeper to death, to the world of death. It was a, wow. like a Japanese Buddha. And I knew at that moment I was going to die. And I asked the Buddha, Am I going to die? And he didn't say it with words, but he painted a white crescent stripe on the side of his face. And that told me, Whoa, I was going to die. And I begged him. Hours. I, he kept telling me, no, you're dying. And I begged him, no, I need to live. There are so many things I, I, I don't want to enter that world. And finally, after the longest fight he gave me, he said, I'll give you a chance, but you have to fight so long more than you ever had before. And I would say learning how to soft dance is equivalent to that level of struggle.
0: Right. So you were, you were fighting, you, you, like, you had to fight that hard. And it was interesting in the book because you did mention, like, some of the things and you mentioned, uh, relative to, like, the dreams that you had when you were in the coma, which was very interesting to me because it was, like, to, to a point, it's like, wow, it's really, like, the difference in the, in the, the kinds of dreams. And I'm not going to get into everything because I want people to read the book, but definitely, like, the things that I saw, like, uh, well, first of all, that when you said, that you were starting to like, I guess, before the coma, you started to hallucinate a little bit. Right. And a it was, yeah, definitely, <laughs> you were hallucinating. And then you kind of, I, I when you, when you said that you, you didn't remember who you were, like, did you not remember who you were at all? And then just said, I don't know who I am period. Or did you think you were somebody else? Um, at which and before I went into this is before the- you went to the coma. Like, so you said like really early on, like you were like, I couldn't remember who I was. I didn't really know
1: that memory that was re- that more happened when I would just well, coming back after the coma and it was the scariest thing in the world you know how sometimes you wake up I think other people have this experience and you sort of don't know where you like, are oh, yeah you are, exactly and, and then like your personality sets in and you're like okay uh, who, who who texted me on my cell phone right Yeah, David so
0: we were at a band we've woken up in very strange places many times <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you know that yeah. feeling right oh, like, yeah.
2: more than I like to admit <laughs> yes believe
0: me it's a very dodgy situation Where am I and who are you? And who are you and what is that?
2: what it's do i like what do i have feeling. to get
1: tested for <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly right so the same panic around what do i have to get tested for it's like that when you don't know who you are and you wake up and they it was so interesting what they did they put tons of posters of acrobatic dancing on my wall and then my occupational therapist said uh, you're safe you're you're meant to be here and so there would be like 15 20 seconds of just up, utmost terror every single time i woke up it was so terrifying i didn't want to go to sleep and many times I would actually watch MSNBC until like four or five in the morning until they, until I was forced uh, to go to sleep. It was that painful to actually wake up. Wow. That was the hardest time of losing my identity. And believe it or not, that was not in the top 10 list of how hard the experience was.
0: I'm sure. I, I remember you said that, that that you would have and I'm not sure if the nurses did this um, when, when you had gotten out of the coma. They had done this independently. Um, I, I think that they, they you said that they did. Where well, They were putting things like signs up on the wall to say, Hey, everything's okay. So when you woke up and you were like disoriented, you didn't freak out. Cause you know, especially rightfully
2: so I would freak out too, man.
0: Ah, What the hell? Like, especially (laughs) you don't remember like why you're there. Like that's nuts. It is nuts. You, you
1: don't, the, the people were great. Zoe, my, my dance partner, um, she was, she put the posters up and the occupational therapist and the nurse, they're the ones who put other signs and messages from family members And it was one of the best experiences because people say, hey, what's it like when you wake up in a hospital? It's bad always. But when you wake up after, you know, being asleep for a month, there's no explanation of the return to reality. Reality, this reality we live in doesn't seem the real thing. Actually, where you were in your dream seems like the real thing. Mm -hmm. And you know how like sometimes you search when you wake up and you're like, wait, wait, what was I I thinking about? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, totally. And you so it's like that all the time. <laughs> and it was only I remember talking to my sister for days. I was really not quite there. And I was telling her, finally, listen, I was in an Internet cafe that they had in between the walls. And she said, Dave, that's not possible. And only when I recognized that some this reality is the real one. And I thought to myself, "All oh, all these crazy things, I realized for a month of dreams were actually not true. Totally disoriented. Wouldn't wish it among my worst enemy. Really painful.
0: Yeah. Listen, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go in. I'm not going to go into every single dream that you had, but your COVID dreams, they seem to suck. Like you had the Buddha yes. guy, you had the weird diamond dream. I mean, why couldn't it have been like hitting the game winning home run and then celebrating with a series of threesomes with Gallicado and Margot Robbie on a loop. That would have been fantastic. Just keep keeping it in the fucking coma.
1: Yeah right. Like I think <laughs> when I talk to other people, they actually said they have a lot of nightmares. I will say the cool thing is they were playing salsa music for me. Oh, and yes, the, yes, it's true. And that's so that's cool. That's that amazing. Was in my dreams throughout the the month. A
0: soundtrack. And, it was the best. <laughs> the that.
1: And in fact, you know, America's got talent. We were finalists, but we didn't win it in the dream. I won it all. I got a diamond from the bottom of the earth. I brought it to the top of the earth and I felt I finally achieved something that I've always wanted to achieve. Mm-hmm. In the book, you find out what happens. It's uh, not the dream doesn't end so well, but um, definitely the, what, what goes on on the outside during a coma, I can tell you you definitely get influenced. I know some people donated some, uh, money to the hospital on my behalf when I woke up I already I referenced that and I told yeah, to the no go fund, fund me yeah yeah right it's, it's a, well and GoFundMe was amazing as well um that was for me well, they, they not
0: they they also like your school like really kind of like kind of kicked that off right the people at ms88 they
1: did I, I work in middle school 88 and i I tell you my life before this experience there are some terrible things some of the great things is I feel so much more connected to my community I really being in my late 40s um, divorced, not having kids, failing, really, as a school teacher, I think you guys know from being around educators, it's not an easy job. No. And so you never feel like you're doing enough. Um, and I definitely didn't feel that way. I've done great things. But at the same time, if kids aren't completely liberated, I go home every time, somewhat not happy. So at the end of my 40s, I was, I was not so happy. I had this experience and when i woke up so many people shared their love from my school from my dance community from the circus community from my family my family really hate each other quite a lot and (laughs) and this 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 experience actually brought them together and so much love was was shared um sorry can i hold on one second please
0: yeah Yeah, sure We made it through the bulk of winter, and uh, you know what that means, don't you? You now have to assess the damage that a steady diet of cheese, bread, and booze has brought to your body and try to figure out if there's going to be a way that you can fit inside that bathing suit by mid-May. Or maybe you're just tired of getting winded trying to get off the toilet. Either way, good news, folks. F45 is here to help you hit and exceed your fitness goals, whatever they may be. Whatever stage of fat you are in, The F45 team is here to whip you into shape in time to hit the beach for the summer. So long as you wear three masks, stay six feet apart, and sanitize, sanitize, sanitize. Just, you know, stay away from humans in general. will be good. F45 training workouts are designed to help make you feel and perform better in all aspects of your life. They are diverse, intense, and deliver the results. As an F45 member, I can attest to the difference in my overall health and physique. If you're in the Royersford area, F-45 is offering a really great deal, 14 days for $14. This is a great way to see if this is the right program for you. Trust me, once you try it, you will sign up and start seeing those results. Contact Rick McGovern or Christy DeChristopher at 610-420-5587 or email them at royersford at f45training.com. Check out some of the amazing results you could achieve by following them on Insta at F45 underscore training underscore Royersford PA team training life-changing F45. All right. Now let's get back to the show. That was happening. So
2: sorry about that. Oh, you'll have to, it's, you don't have to be sorry. Believe me. I'm sure you heard the dogs barking in the background.
0: Yes. Um, yes my, my, Chris, my, Chris
2: has a sled, a sled dog team up yes. downstairs.
0: No, not really. No, uh, he, no, <laughs> no, not no. Sled dogs, but there, they are. I have three small it's sled dogs. They couldn't, they couldn't pull <laughs> a hot Wheels sled. They're so small. They're tiny dogs. <laughs> tiny, <laughs> barking, t- yes. tiny barking, angry dogs. Yes. They're, they're very, very unpleasant. Sometimes. Um,
2: Well, I I kind of wanted to take it back a little bit to when you first got sick. So, in the book, you talk about how, you know, when COVID first started, particularly in New York, they were like, unless you have the most serious of symptoms, don't go to the hospital. Right. That's right. And there was a lot of, um, you know, there was a lot of kind of, and and still is, unfortunately, but a lot of like poo poo. This isn't serious. This isn't going to happen to me. This is all just whatever till they started shutting things down and people, even then people were like, ah, whatever, you know? Um, but you, you went from being a healthy individual, like you said, and then all of a sudden you were sicker than you have ever been in your life. And you got to a point is one of the first things in the book that you talk about is that you went to sleep in front of the refrigerator because you were, you were too weak to actually have the energy to get yourself into bed. So you just went to sleep in the kitchen. That's nuts. When that happened, was that like, was that when you knew, was it at that point or was it further along that you knew you're like, okay,
1: something is seriously wrong here. That was the moment I, my family was calling me all week checking in. I kept telling them sicker than I've always been, but yeah, they told us don't go to the hospital. You'll actually uh, contract COVID if you go there. And we can't help you unless you have the most serious of symptoms. Um, wow. They didn't have testing back then. I don't know no, yeah. uh, if people's memory is, is, is strong about that, but there was no testing. And the only testing I did a, a teleconference with the doctor who told me I didn't have it. Now, partly that's my <laughs> mistake because I I know, right. Partly that's missed. Mis- I didn't have. Oh, a you're fine. Go so, ahead. So. <laughs> go ahead. Go start making out with people outside. It's like what? <laughs> Super really, Spider David is. Paris just <laughs>
2: spitting in other New Yorker face. <laughs> I walked down the street. It's normal yeah. New York shit.
1: You know, (laughs) it's so crazy. It's so crazy. So, but yeah, that moment when I went from super sick, sicker than I've ever been to can't get up off the floor. um, And I still wasn't ready to go to the hospital yet until I noticed, wow, I'm not breathing so, so well. I got a call from my mother, my sister that morning that begged me to go to the hospital. I said, no, I'm fine. I don't have COVID. I, I um, woke up from, from in front of the fridge and my, one of my family friends said, go to the hospital now. And I don't know, I just listened to her at that moment. And the hospital I went to saved my life. If I went to any other hospital, they I was on an ECMO machine. Yes, which means, yeah. That's for people don't know that um, replaces the work of your heart and your lungs. A very, very few of them in, around the country country nyu happened to have 17 of them i also survived because of the flattening of the curve if there was no flattening of the curve there would have been um there, there had 17 machines i was a 16 yes. patient there's I, no there way would you would have gotten. it
0: and weren't you on that ecmo machine for like the longest amount of time that you could possibly like like so long that people were like normally when people are you don't go as long as you were on that machine
1: no, usually it's used for open heart surgery. Usually it's a big deal if you're on ECMO for 24 hours. I was on there for 32 days. Jesus. Um, they, they do have a limit of six six weeks I do think sometimes they might go over, but they have six weeks. And as I was heading to my fourth week, my family was worried, wow, he may not make it because it's super expensive to, it's interesting. You know, when I got the, I'll only say this on this podcast, sure, right, man. I haven't shared the story before. But right, but I, did get, <laughs> I did get the bill for my um, medical bill and it was $99,999. Ooh, I
0: know. My body puckered when you said that. Oh, hey, hey they, <laughs> say,
1: they saved you a buck from being a
0: hundred G's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's $99.99. Like, oh, great. At least it's not $100. Thanks and a I lot. I
1: tell you, I feel, yeah, That's suspiciously below a million, but like... <laughs> <laughs> I, I did i did think in that moment no i'm not worth it they could have used that money to save so many other lives in so many other ways um i actually found that that was what they built it wasn't actually what the uh, insurance company oh. paid the insurance company paid 197 thousand, and i thought that i'm worth
0: yes yeah, <laughs> like, i'll take that okay
1: Fair so you enough. had a decision at the time that you
2: were sick it was either go to a university hospital or go to the pop-up hospital that they had at central park. And if I remember correctly from reading the book, you said, well, in central park at night, that's where death happens. So I don't want to go there. <laughs> was that, is that true? Like that was your kind of mentality of your choice between that's the smart. university hospital and the pop-up hospital was like, you're like, nah, fuck central park. Yeah, now that's where People God. go to die. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so those people who grew up in New York, you know that you do not enter the park after after dark. Uh-uh. Right. And um now people I don't know if people do that now, but certainly you didn't do that back then. Um and the, the real reason for Central Park was actually it was just a family friend that says no, go to NYU. I'd done some surgeries with them before and um Central Park, they my sister was saying, No, oh, there are all these new machines, it'll be they'll be ready for you. And um because it was a pop-up, they thought maybe it would be better and better able to cope with, uh, with the new disease. It might have been, but they didn't have an ECMO machine. So that would have been a death sentence if I went there. Um... I actually wanted to I don't know how you feel about you guys were in New York. Being in New York, I always wanted to go into the park late at night wondering what what it was like. So, uh, i was yes. actually more tempted to go to Central Park to see for what's
0: reason. up. I need yeah, to right? know what's going on there.
2: <laughs> but like I need to experience some seedy underbelly one once uh, or twice. There's plenty of a <laughs> David that
0: spades. You'll be just fine.
2: Um you know, Well, I want to say that um if I'm not mistaken we're kind of at the one-year anniversary of yeah. of you of you going into the coma. It was right around this time because yeah. we're at the, it's the 13th of April that we're recording. Yep, so we're right around one year, if I remember correctly. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. It's one year. I could say so much about that. They're, they're, they know so much more about COVID now than they used to back at the time. Um, they were throwing any medicine possible. I was on three experimental trial drugs, including hydrochloroquine. Oh, right. Yes, I remember me. that. I was already hallucinating. Once I took that stuff, it took it to another
0: level. Uh, <laughs> That's like fish concert, <laughs> like high. <laughs> fish
1: concert usually is good. Uh, when you do this type of hallucinogenic, it's uh it's like a malaria drug if i'm correct oh yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the stuff that chris and i talked about that before on the podcast um it apparently is also used in uh cleaning aquariums it's yeah. a it's an ingredient
0: in cleaning aquarium so great so my clown the clownfish will survive and and i will too so great. if you
2: were having some finding dory dreams yes, Jesus. Like finding was, nemo hallucinations that's why um, it, was, it was bad it was yeah. really bad we well, did so
0: have the one was, where you were was, in the boat and you were hanging off of it so i mean technically the sea was involved <laughs> <laughs> there was.
1: you know it, it's it's one year later that i've been able to reflect quite a lot about the experience i'm super happy to here on one hand, so many people now take it seriously, and then yet you see some of the situations of Florida and 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 oh, yeah. still people not taking it seriously. And I think to myself, we have a huge problem not only with information in our country. But then also taking care of other people where people are more, you know, they're, they're just looking out for themselves and not thinking who they might pass it to.
0: Oh, I thought and, I thought you were going to say unbridled stupidity because that's what I would have thought. You know, that's ah, just <laughs> ah, who cares? I don't care that yeah, I saw I, people I, dying around here. <laughs> I, let's go out and hang out because I'm tired of wearing a mask. Shut up. You're stupid. Yeah.
1: It, it's so it's so crazy. And, you know, back back in the day, we didn't know we, we didn't know uh, anything about the disease. Now, we sure. do know. And um, that's actually why I wrote the book. I wanted to write the book, um, not just to, I didn't want, I actually never wanted to write the book originally because I was like, why do I want to share this horrible experience? Right. And so many people said, look, you survived such a difficult moment. It's going to be inspiring to other people. Um, and I thought to myself, OK, let, let me do it. But let me do it. That includes everybody. So when I wrote the book, I included the doctor, interviews from doctors, interviews from nurses, my family, mm-hmm. counselors, spiritual people, um, anybody I could who had a helping hand in my life to show that. I call it a COVID story because it's, it's my story, but it's also our community's experience. It was really, really interesting history. So that way it's an easy read. I think you guys said it was pretty easy to read. Oh my God. God. I
0: read it it twice. I like, it was, (laughs) you know, like, um, I was just actually looking something up because there's a, um, it reminded me of a book that I read by Stephen King's son. It's called, his name is Joe Hill because it had a very much like a, um, it felt like every part of that book was everyone's like kind of, I don't even know how to explain it. Like everyone's like entry into that situation at that time. So it would be your brother talking or Zoe talking or the nurse talking and the doctor talking. And there's a book called uh, Twittering from the Circus of the Dead by Joe Hill. I recommend it. It's it's basically – these people that are on a road and going in, but it's got the same kind of format. So when I read it, I was like, wow, this is a really unique way to tell a story. And, and, you know, obviously the, the, um, the, um, illustrations were great. And are the, those are the yeah? who
2: animated things? that? Cause they were yes. really, they're really a really big part in, in how I took in the, the information in the book, particularly like the dream sequences. Yeah. I thought were incredibly
0: really well good. animated. Well done.
1: Yeah, thank you. I There there are people I've I worked with before. Before this, I wrote three adolescent novels mm-hmm. and I knew that I wanted, because it was an oral history, I knew that there was some description that was missing and I could only, it could only be really captured by an illustrator. And mm-hmm. I tried out a whole bunch of people and I said, you know what, I'm going to use the guy who did the comical illustrations that I wrote for my uh, kid books. And I said, let's see what you can do for something more serious. And I think, like you said, he nailed it. He he nailed the oh, so good. nuances of of terror, of fear, of um jubilation, of connection. And I'm so happy the way they added. And then I also added two oil paintings from a friend of mine. Yes. Uh, one was the Buddha. It's, yeah, he he nailed that. And I, I added the illustrations because I just wanted to have people get a a visual sense of what was going on, not just with the oral history here. Yeah. You
0: definitely capture it. And like, um, so the other books that you're referring to are Middle School Election, Middle School President, and oh man, what is the last one? Totally Laughable, legend. Laughable Legend. Laughable Legend. Right, middle You're school amazing. hand jobs. Yes. yes.
2: Oh, ben middle actually. school hand job isn't one of them. No.
0: Oh, that's no. a different book. Yes, Sorry, exactly. my bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Movie
1: theater hand, hand for sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I mean,
0: obviously, you you wrote it for the audience. I, I'm like because, first of all, as a as a, a, an adult, I was still like completely engaged. 117 pages is easy read, right? And um and the the pictures do the accoutrement on that is like really it like really good. It it's, helped.
2: Yeah. Cause one of the first questions that I asked Chris, when he yeah. sent me a book, it was before I actually read it. Um, I looked at, i kind of like, just kind of skimmed through it when he first sent it to me. And I asked him, I was like, is this, is this a children's like, is this yeah, a children's book? Yeah. Which I also thought would be interesting too, because I think there's a, there, there may be a a missing part of how do you like a difficult way of how do you explain what's going on to a child? And I thought about too, because I knew you didn't have kids. I don't have kids. And I thought about a lot about like, if I had kids and I was going through what you went through, how would I explain to them what is going on? And I think how you did it, particularly how you kind of did kind of the illustrations and kind of, meshed in text messages, like analytics. actually how like people were responding on the outside. And then what you were feeling while you were going through it is, is incredibly well done. Yes. And it's not a, it's not a kid's book, no. but you can get that kind of feeling from, it's almost like a, an, a, a, an adolescent way of explaining what was this going, what on. Was going like, on, it could right. be taken in, 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 an adolescent way. And I mean,
1: that as a compliment, of course, Yeah, I, it is a compliment for me. I spent 25 years in middle school. That's the audience I always write to this audience I live with. And I knew that if I wrote this book, they would get their hands on it. So I had to make a family friendly book. I kept out anything that would be inappropriate for that age group with, with them in mind completely. Like it's not for kids, but if you give it to a kid, they're not going it. to be, be yeah. fine.
0: Yeah. It would be
1: fine. It would be fine for them. Um, but if I might say my style, because I'm a middle school teacher in New York City, if you don't keep things interesting, oh. they are going to run the class and you will regret the whole teaching that year. And so I, I had grown that up that way in my 20s, 30s and 40s that you got to be interesting. So the book has, uh, it's really fast paced. And I wanted to uh, include lots of voices in the way that people think. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it really did make me think. And that's funny that you said the voices part, because I was just about to say like the one thing that immediately starts coming to mind. When you see something like that and you see other voices, you just immediately start to build that voice in your head. What would that person sound like if they were actually saying this? And, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, again, like I, I give kudos to the, the, the illustration and, uh, and the, the way that they did it and the way that you formatted it. Cause again, it's not like a normal, normal book. It really did make it not, I mean, like, first of all, when you're, you know, when you're reading a book <clears throat> and I read a lot, I read every single day before I go to sleep. Um, It helps me go to sleep. But like one of the things that I I look for is for people that keep you engaged. I didn't feel at any point during this book, and I'm not just saying this, that I was bored. I was I wanted to get to the next part. I wanted to see you recover. Like and one of the things that was really astonishing to me about your journey was the amount of psychological damage that was done to you as a result of this and that not meant to like pull something serious here but that was like the amount that was dedicated to that that,
1: i could feel it yeah yeah,
0: dude it it really it hit me i was like oh my god like the amount of recovery besides the physical part of it which i'm sure is really difficult and challenging for you (laughs) can you talk a little bit about that like i like i don't want to go too deep but like how was that and it's great that you're back and you're you're back to where you were but that must have been quite the struggle
1: it's it's interesting there's a article that came out lately about people who are struggling with some version of PTSD. Mm -hmm. I think like 46% of people with severe symptoms struggle with it. And for sure, the mental suffering that I've gone through actually is far more significant than the physical suffering. And one year later, I could still, I still feel high levels of anxiety, uh, existential questions on a daily basis. You have a near death experience. Your life is never the same.
2: That's, um, a he- he- that's a heavy statement too, because we talked before we came on the podcast, I wanted to make sure to capture it because we said we were going to, mm-hmm. you said the, the, the mental toll is a lot, is a lot heavier than the physical toll. And you actually lost a part of one of your fingers as a result of your, uh, of your symptoms. And so to, to say that, like, is, I mean, it is incredibly, incredibly heavy to hear. And people need to understand, like, how serious this is, that you can actually lose a digit and the psychological toll is far heavier than the actual physical toll. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's, thank you for sharing that. And this was, this is super important to me to share the caretaking that's gone on for me. In the book, I try to detail as much as oh, possible yeah. how many people really, from all points of my life, from high school onwards. Um, nobody from middle school, surprisingly, but <laughs> sons <laughs> of bitches.
0: No, <laughs> I'll get you.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: He's got the list like Steve Buscemi, cross, cross, crossing
1: out. <laughs> but, you know, they. So many people came to my aid and continue to come to my aid even a year later. And that level of support has made a huge difference in my life. And I just wanted to point out to the people who know somebody who's, uh, suffered from COVID in any way, they need you in so many ways and to go up and go, go out of your way to help these people because they're suffering in ways that you'll never know, but you'll be helping them in ways you'll never understand the depth of how, how much you'll be appreciated for it. So I try to describe, do I do a good job of describing them? Absolutely.
0: The the yeah. Fantastic. Really because, yeah. You highlighted the, the, the nurses, the doctors, the psychiatrists, when you went, well, even the person, the, uh, like, again, this thing stuck with me when, you notated that the person that was taking you from the hospital to the rehabilitation center lingered outside a little bit so that you can get more sun before, cause he knew that you were going to go into the rebuild. That I was like, Oh my God, this guy was in a coma for so long. And now he gets his fir- first breath, breath of fresh air and he still has to go into, into the rebuild. And basically you're being shut out again. He realized that and said, I'm going to slow down and take my time. That whew, got me right in the heart, man. Seriously. And that it was amazing. It's a small little gesture.
1: And yet it's it so it's it different. Because when I when I had fresh air for the first time in two months, oh it really was the best experience. And yet I would not experience fresh air again for another month. And yeah, he knew it and he let me feel what sun actually felt like. And that extra 45 seconds or a minute as he slowly rolled me down the street to the ambulance, mm-hmm. I'll never forget it. And all the, all the steps, when I left the hospital, you, I don't know if you've seen it, but they give you a lot of applause, all the doctors and nurses come mm-hmm. along and um, there were like 50, 60 people. giving me an applause. I could say the first three nights in rehab were some of my hardest nights um, in my hospital stay, but because I knew I had the love of all the doctors and nurses and therapists, I knew I was going to fight to try to make this work, uh, despite all the pain that I was uh, going through. Emotional support is so important to to patients. Yeah.
0: Yeah. hundred percent.
2: Yeah. And I think it, I think it's important to note too, because you you've mentioned it so many, so many times as the doctors and nurses and stuff like that. It's just, it, it's, it's not just the toll that it takes on the individuals that have it. it it's the toll that it takes on the people that are treating you as well. Oh my God. Yeah. Like that, there is such a, a, a humongous, and, and, and the psychological toll it takes on those individuals too. I mean, my, my mother is a nurse. She used to work in hospice. She's been a nurse for 40 plus years. She works, she, she currently works at, at a cancer center. Um, so she's worked with, you know, people that are, are dying, um, or are on their way to potentially dying. Um, and the mental toll that it takes on, on the caretakers as well as the individuals that have the disease. It, it, it's something that I think is important to highlight because it, it really should
1: resonate with the people that don't take it as seriously as they possibly should. When the, I did the interviews afterwards, every single nurse said it was the hardest thing they'd done in their life. Um, my one that's sorry, I can't say her name. I just it's forgot. Okay. She didn't want me to use her name. But, That's right. Okay. Uh, one of the nurses who's in the book told me that she always goes to trauma uh, events where there's traumatic uh, need or, or, or epidemics of some sort. And she said this. She'll never do that again after this experience. Uh, every single nurse I've talked to said they cried every moment they had a, a breath and they only had like five or six breaths. Uh, a day to like step away from taking care of patients and yeah. when i actually woke up it was a little bit better they said that all the nurses told me in the hospital that two weeks before that um, people were dying be all around them all the time and they were so my story is actually uh, inspiring to them because they saw somebody finally um not only survive but even actually get quite a bit better a lot of people don't get better they they stay on um, and, and pretty rough condition for their whole lives. So yeah, the, the mental toll it took on the nurses and the doctors is, is just horrible really. You
0: know It's amazing is in, in this, and we, <clears throat> we talked about, and we talk about a lot on our podcast about, because we lament over some of the things that are ridiculous that people argue about in this country and, and fight about things. And, you know, we're, we're very much a, um, a, a fence sitter, Kevin sitting on the post, all the way down. Uh,
2: <laughs> Chris but, is inferring uh, that I like it in the butt for the people that didn't get that <laughs>
0: joke. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That came off the <laughs> I apologize. That. But no, what I was saying is like, we're in the middle. Like we don't like, we don't choose a side. We hate that. We're not like, and we don't believe like staunchly on one side or the other. We believe that the issue is the thing that you kind of um, you focus kind of on, focus on. Right. So the, the thing that's amazing is when you tell stories about this, and you, t- you think about that. And I think about New York. I think about 9-11 is another time when this has occurred. Like COVID was a pandemic. People just naturally all of a sudden come together and like, God, if we could just capture that all the time, how great would the world be? Everyone, the resiliency of people when they fight together, as opposed to saying, well, you're wearing a red hat and I'm not like who gives shit. Like you're wearing a mask and I'm not. Exactly. Exactly. No. It's just it's that that kind of mentality. And so, again, that's why your story was so great is because it just showed that that like the positivity in the, the human spirit and and all the things that you can accomplish if you don't box yourself into a side and make that the thing.
1: Can I add one more thing about that? Sure. I, thought, I missed a little bit earlier when I was talking about the mental struggles um, and the anxiety that I feel. One of the things that was most assuring is actually, I share that with everybody I know. And I can't tell you how many other people share their stories about struggling. I've had people that I've known 30 years tell me that they're suddenly, yeah, they suffer from PTSD from some uh, horrific event. I had a friend who was in 9-11, was uh, knocked out as he was running away from the building, woke up wow. in the hospital, uh, doesn't know how he got there. And then it was also at the Las Vegas shooting. And Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And and I can't tell you how many people I share my story with, and I did find that people do come together as we start sharing the struggles, um, and, and and when people are, are are in need, yeah,
0: yeah, it's pretty amazing. Did you
2: find yourself when this first started, um, especially living in New York City where things are so close quarters? Um, were you a were you a oh. Uh, uh, I need to separate myself from everyone. This is a serious event. Or were you kind of a non-believer before you got sick?
1: I was a believer. I actually wanted to get sick.
0: Okay, <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> Clearly, yeah. you're like, well, in, in retrospect, <laughs> Probably should not have wished that yeah, when I rubbed that, that. Say, b- holy oh, shit! Lord. Karma came for you. <laughs> oh, boy, <with> a fucking <laughs> e thunderbolt.
1: <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> Karma hit me so bad. It's oh amazing. boy! Oh boy! <laughs> Yeah. Um, I wanted to get sick. I thought, I thought it was only an old person disease. Um, I thought that once I got sick, I'll have the immunity and then I won't have fine, to right, right, be right. fine. Right. Uh, yeah, I was one yeah. of those people. Um, I, I did social distancing. I, um, made sure I was super safe. I wasn't, I didn't wipe down the packages that came in mm-hmm. from takeout or anything like that, but I, I was pretty careful. And, but yet I also wasn't worried at all. They said, um, even in the moment they, they put me on the ventilator. I remember them telling me, look, you're going to, we're gonna put you on a ventilator. I was like, yeah, yeah. Wake me up in a few days. I'd like some chicken sausage when I wake up, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. He said and, in the book, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <It's all nice. laughs> True story.
1: and, and, and I really wasn't worried. Um, but it wasn't that I wasn't careful. I was super careful. I washed my hands in retrospect. Uh, maybe I probably caught it from my brother. He was, we were, uh, outside walking with his kids. And, um, he, he, he was sick. He didn't know it. And then I probably got it from him, but,
0: um, Oh man, he's never going to hear the end of that at a fucking Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, remember you put me in coma for eight days, you asshole with my finger.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I forget whether I put that in the book or not, but yeah, he felt really guilty about, (laughs) (laughs) you
0: know,
2: Um, it would have been bad if he didn't feel guilty. Yeah. He's like, God, oh, you fat fucker, I wish you died.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God, how dare you? <laughs> I can tell you we were much closer now than we were before that. Call. I'm sure. Because we well, realize like, wow, I almost lost him. I, I remember when my dad had a, he had a massive heart attack. Uh, he's a dummy, by the way, because he like, he had a, he was, uh, if you're listening, which I know you're not, but he <laughs> smokes, right. And he, and he had a heart attack cause he smoked. He had, he had like a massive, like they had to like do he's
2: part of the zipper club yeah they
0: opened opened him up and like like four valves and all kinds of bad stuff in there but it was all because he was a smoker um and so he stopped for a little bit and then he got back into smoking again because he's a dummy but um i remember when he got sick i was like it it just doesn't make you real the mortality of your family it's like it's hard
1: yeah mortality it, it hit me it hit everybody i was close to i know that i'm, I'm a semi big figure in the South dance community in the circus community in the united states people started saying oh my we are this is serious because a, right. a strong guy like myself went down and for a lot of people i was the only person they knew that was sick and then they started taking the disease seriously
2: does it's it? so weird how it impacts different people, and especially people that come from, I mean, you, you're, you came from the same bloodline. You have the same, you know, structure as your brother. He got barely sick and you were almost, almost dead in dead. a coma. And it's crazy how it impacts people. Chris had it He's sitting across from me right now. He, he, it barely, barely affected him. My father had it. And he, my father was right in the, in the pre-existing condition, high risk category. He ended up getting it because he wasn't careful, um, unfortunately. Um, but, um, I thought for sure it was a death sentence for him once I found out that he had it and he was just like, uh, it was just like a, a kind of a fluish kind of thing. He didn't feel great for like 10 days and then he was fine. Um, it was, it was more that he ruined Christmas because nobody could come to the house <laughs> because he got, co- he tested positive for COVID like right. v- a couple of days before Christmas. So it, it's, and this is the thing that I m- most want our listeners to take away from this doesn't matter what side you're on. Doesn't matter what you believe. Doesn't matter what you think, you know, or you think you understand it, it is, it is not a selective disease is not something that if you do one thing, then you're not going to get it. Oh, I'm super healthy. Oh, I go to the gym every day. Oh, oh, well, I don't, I don't do this. So therefore I'm not susceptible. Oh, I'm not this age or this gender or this race. So therefore I'm not susceptible. It doesn't work like
0: that. No spin the roulette wheel. You never know where you're going to land, man. That's, that's the bottom line, but, and not worth the risk. No, but, but the bottom line is here. Look, the, 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 the silver lining in all this is that you're okay. Like, and the fact that you, and your, your, your toughness, um, probably your spirit, I would say for sure is the thing that drove you and got you through this. And and it's, it's an amazing thing. Um, so
2: we didn't want to tell you though, was we found out that when you were in the coma, I don't know if you've ever seen kill bill. Um, but, (laughs) um, there was a part in there where guys would come in (laughs) and pay to to have (laughs) sexual intercourse with, with (laughs) the There's a guy named got he, hit, he, hit a, he hit a wagon. Yeah, so uh, uh, we wanted to tell you on this podcast yes, that s- if you felt if
1: you felt vaseline Surprise. when you woke up, yes. <laughs> I-, I could say when I found out there were cameras in the room, I was very happy. <laughs> like, Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned
2: like that. Like, See, that's what's different. See, if this happened to me, I'd wake up and I've had d- I'd have dicks drawn on my bald head oh, yeah. and like all
0: kinds. Of- <laughs> dude, let me just say, if, if I if I if I was in the hospital v- for voluntary surgery and i was sleeping kevin would get arrested trying to dump my body into the incinerator <laughs> let's be honest about this he'd be trying to just do de- but like, no no what are you talking about he's dead he's like, no he's screaming stop
2: <laughs> it, would, it would be like oh uh, this podcast he's one less
1: host that's right chris has covid <laughs> let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's get him out of here <laughs> exactly so um, i can tell you actually guys. you know on, on the other end of that mm-hmm. my ability to trust I have um, my ability to trust the country and the state Mm -hmm. to take care of me suddenly changed. So my experience was a little the opposite, where I woke up and I thought, my God, there's this whole system to protect me. I'd never been in the hospital overnight before. um, And I woke up and I got this amazing care from 530 in the morning, getting my body washed, the nurses, doctors, uh, therapy. And I was like, wow, all to take care of me. And I didn't know that that system existed. And then when I saw them do so much great work for other people as well, it was a great introduction to the support that we don't even know is there unless you need it.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's, that's amazing. Uh, that's that's a that's a great statement too because you know one of the things you always hear you always get the negative side of it. That's what the news is. That's what the social media is. That that's what that, that's what's fed to sensationalism. You. And, and and you don't really think about is like oh I have health insurance. What's that actually go towards? Because most of us. And most of us don't actually ever experience anything like that. Like you said before this, you had never been even hospitalized overnight. Well, I, you know, I've never had anything worse than, you know, stitches really, um, torn ligaments here and there, you know, I, I, so I don't have a preconceived notion of, of what, actually happens when you're truly, truly sick. So now that you've experienced it, being able to kind of relate that to people, not only from appearing on podcasts such as our our, our own, but um, communicating that through your book, I think is incredibly important. A hundred percent.
0: I did have a question about one of the dreams because um, it, it was the one where like there was a, you were in a library and there was a there was a, a three foot tall grumpy grouchy eighty year old man and the question that I had is, is it possible it was my dad because of the comic <laughs> books? I think we may have a match. Grumpy and short, was he smoking? <laughs> because wasn't that smoking. would give it. A, no, all yeah. right, well, I guess it wasn't he him.
1: Definitely was a grumpy older guy and he had no, he was, he was a spirit for sure. Mm -hmm. He had no appreciation for this existence we're living in now. And so I was living in that consciousness. I was living in that, you know, maybe it was the drugs, maybe it's a spiritual world. I don't (laughs) know. But whatever it was, I told that spirit, he didn't want me to come back to the world. He said, why do that? He wanted me to just keep working in the library books. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was told that the library books from a spiritual friend of mine, represents lifetimes. I don't know if that's true oh, or not. Oh, interesting. Um, I, I don't know if it's the book of life. I don't know what that meant. But I, I do know that I had made a decision. This that existence I'm not ready for. I want to come, like, I think you said in the intro, I do a lot of cool things in the world. And yeah. I'm really happy. I still, I, I'm not done, you know? I want to I do so many things. I wanted to come back to the world for that. Yeah. That's awesome
2: yeah what do you what do you think created such a kind of vivid recollection of of the dreams and the experiences you had while you were in a coma do you think it had uh, was it your background in religion that possibly impacted that? Was it, was it just, you know, drug induced hallucinations, some sure combination remember. of it? Cause I don't, I don't dream lucidly. Like I rarely have when I'm sleeping, I rarely have dreams that I can, you know, cognitively recall when I wake up the next day to be able to put it down in a book. What do you, what do you think impacted that? Was it just because of your, your, your normal mindset? Were you always like a lucid dreamer or do you think it was like a combination of things? Things.
1: Yeah, for those people who do lucid dream, I lucid dream all the time. Um, this is another level of experience. And um, it's sort of indescribable, so I won't bother describing it. But I'll just say it's like, uh, it's it's in that outer world. I didn't grow up with religion. I'm a spiritual person. Um, I think that probably influenced my dreams quite a lot. Uh, my psychologist, which I described in the book, says that to some degree, what your body experiences, your mind will make a story for what's happening in the body. That's what I believe. What was happening? The drugs help make it more interesting. I think, <laughs> <laughs> as they are tend to do.
0: <laughs> I mean, he had like a pirate cocaine fucking fantasy. It's- that's great i was like i wasn't even gonna ask a question i was just gonna be like that's cool that it just that, that that was part of your your experience in a coma yeah well, cocaine and the that pirates actually, that's well, what i want my well, whole coma to be I,
1: For the, yeah when you read the book for those in, in the audience there, there was a a pirate i was uh cast away on a pirate ship uh that was selling cocaine and i knew i had to get out and it wasn't a fun experience. Some of the dreams were
0: like not pleasant. But but wait, so I got to ask, was it like, I'm your captain now pirate or arg, walk the plank. Like, you know, like there's the, the guy from Captain oh, Phil. Modern, sorry. They're modern pirates. Okay. I was right. Cause you said cocaine. I'm like, yeah, usually they're like going for gold or like, you know, got parrots in a peg leg. When you said oh, pirates, like which kind was, of pirates are we talking about? It
2: here? wasn't Captain Jack Sparrow. Basically. Yeah. is what
1: you're getting. Oh, are you saying that Johnny Depp
0: doesn't <laughs> cocaine? I think we have to have a conversation about reality. My friend, <laughs>
1: Oh, because the illustrator did a traditional pirate. Yeah, right? when I saw that, I was like, I was
0: like, so did, did old pirate? Because like I didn't ever hear the stories of old pirates. You know, you know when they got booty, I didn't know that it was <laughs> booger sugar.
1: <laughs> the illustrator was... did amazing and um, he, great job. He nailed job. he nailed everything. That one was a little bit different, but I didn't want to correct it because it looks so, beautiful. <laughs> hey, <laughs> it, it looked so it, good. He did a
0: good job. It looks so
1: beautiful, right? I, it was such a work of art that I couldn't, I didn't want him to change that at all.
0: And not at all. Um, so, um, I, I guess, uh, you know, one of the other things that I, I really wanted to understand is like now, like what's next for you? Like what, so you, you, you get done this book, this book's fantastic. We're going to promote the hell out of it and tell everybody about it, but what are you going to do now? Like, You know, can you go back to dancing and doing what you were doing with Zoe? Um, Are you, you know, obviously you're still teaching, right? I'm sure you're still teaching and doing that, but like, what's, what's up? What's you said, you're not done yet. So what, what is next for David Paris? Okay, there's a lot. Uh, I did
1: do my first overhead acrobatic lift uh, two weeks ago. And just today with Zoe, I held her up over my head for um, about 30 seconds, which for me in the old days, I could lift two women over my head for minutes at a time. Um, So I'm on my way. It's been a year. uh, It's not been easy. I still can't, I can lift up my left arm, but only with like five or 10 pounds. Uh, I couldn't lift it farther than my thigh for like four or five months. So (laughs) things are getting better. I'm determined if, call it crazy. I still want to go back on America's Got Talent. It's <laughs> not crazy. It's like awesome. Talent. Well, the hey, story is. Oh my is, god! Are you
0: kidding me? Holy yeah. shit! I would fire. I'm the sure I'm like, that are you yeah. Me? Right to the get him on the stage.
2: <laughs> I'm sure Sharon Osborne or David Hasselhoff or or. God, who is it? Pierce Morgan, whoever was on your season yes. <laughs> it would bring you back in a second.
1: Yeah. I'm in touch with the producer. I still have to convince Zoe to do it. I'm still working on that. But, um, and I still, we have to work. It's not, I tell you, it's not easy, but that sure. being said, I'm determined. I want to get back. I have friends who told, who told me, listen, as soon as you're ready, we'll put you back on the tour. Um, of course, you know, all performing venues right there are, are closed. Yeah. So, I'm gonna. I want to do a show about my experience through acrobatic dance. So I'm doing. I'm working on that with Zoe. As a school teacher, one of the things I'm passionate about. I work on a life goals curriculum for kids. Um, I think that one of the things when kids work on their own goals um, and are passionate about it, whether it's playing video games, learning how to cook, learning another language, if we support them how to do that, we can then hook them into what it means to achieve something. And I'm working on a curriculum and um, app and website for for kids to do that in my school and. Ideally for everybody. Uh, that's one thing I'm passionate about. I'm still going to write other kids books. Uh, I wrote middle school election and middle school president. Both are satires about mm-hmm. Donald Trump's. Oh, I, you, with-
0: you tell by the, by the, uh, the, the graphic of what we'll pop it up. What he looks like <laughs> that was clearly, I was like, that's Donald Trump. <laughs> Yeah, for me,
1: I was, I was super excited. It was, I'm I'm pretty left wing. So I was very upset and was the only thing I could do to try to uh, teach about techniques he was using, um, things he did. And mm-hmm. so uh, it was an educational tool. I was very excited by that. I'm going to do another book called middle school, um, middle school fraud, which, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I'm working on that and working on another laughable legends, volume two, volume three. Um, I love and, writing. That's well, great. I love to write I love. I, I think it's uh, I tried it. the book A COVID Story has a lot of humor in it mm-hmm. um, when I write for a middle school audience I know I can't go more than a paragraph without saying something interesting or funny so all my books are like that they're short um, but they're for kids that don't like to read because I don't like to read my students don't like to read so uh, I made sure I wrote books that kids would like to read so um, they're they're edgy they're not super sweet and fun um, but they're for or, you know they're, they're for tough kids that, that, that struggle of reading um and other things i want to do i think that covers most of it i mean those um, are
0: big ambitious goals like continuing to write books getting back on america's got talent that's not small especially given the fact that you're you're continuing to rehab from this you know from from uh, what was really devastating i mean the, the fact watching you get back to uh, and, and again there's a book where you, you're you're obviously rooting for david to get better like yes yeah, sure. <clears throat> to be able to to even eat an ice chip which is like a, like a gourmet meal to you at the time, you know, yes. like <laughs> cause yes. you were so thirsty after they had intubated you. Like that's, that's a big deal. Like, and uh to see you get back and to be able to even lift somebody up for 30 seconds is, is a miracle. So that's exciting, man. Really exciting. It is.
1: And it's, it's, I want to pay, I want to make sure that people know that my story is miraculous. It's not, um most people struggle for life when they get this disease. When I was in the hospital, I, I, virtually everybody I saw could barely move, could barely get up, could only move a limb or two. Um, and it's very rare to have my type of recovery. Uh, I don't know whether that was um, because I was athletic beforehand. Um, I don't know if it's just cause I right. had some good karma or so. I don't know what it is. Um, but it, it's, even though I was able to recover and a lot of it was determination and I, I, I listened to the, the physical therapist and did everything they told me to do. Um, a lot of people are really struggling.
0: Yeah, yeah no doubt. And, and look, I don't want to like compare. I had some struggles of my own. I know that I wasn't physically sick, but my family wanted to murder me after I had forced them to quarantine for two weeks. <laughs> I got because my, my kids had just gotten back to regular full-time school. Thank God that that spring break was coming up. So we had like a week to like, you know, get through the quarantine mess. But there was a lot of hate being thrown around around these parts. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Well, David,
2: Chris, you you and Chris are going to have a lot in common because you both have COVID and you're both going to be divorced.
0: Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, God, it's funny because it's probably true. <laughs> just kidding. Of course, not. I love my wife. She's fantastic. I say do. No, I didn't say you didn't love her. Oh. I was just saying I wasn't kidding. I wasn't kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah, shit. Oh, man.
2: Um, well, I don't, I mean, we use a lot of sports analogies here. Yep. Um, right. You, know, so you got the
1: current vocal reference immediately. right? <laughs> we,
2: we, you know, we, you know, you talk about being a football player and, you know, the fact that you recovered is, is amazing. I mean, and, I mean. and, and, you know, uh, I'm a big Steelers fan. So. I I look at like Ryan Shazier when he, when he broke his back and like the struggle that he had to go through to come back from that, just to be like, he'll never play football again. He's retired. I mean, his career is from, as a football player is over just to be able to walk again. What, what a, what a tremendous struggle that was. And people highlight that as, you know, uh, you know, kind of like a feel good story, you know what I mean? But it's like, what people don't need to realize, particularly in your case, is like you recovered. That's amazing. That's great. Like you talked about most people don't, it's not really a, it's not a feel good story. Like you, you, like people need to understand like, you know, what happened to like to somebody like Ryan Shazier or what happened to you? Um, that didn't feel good. Like, that's no. not like, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's miraculous. You recovered. Most people don't. And I, I, I think it's truly, we're so happy to have you here. Um, we're so happy that you did recover, but want to make sure to highlight as you did that, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, people like Ryan Chazier are paralyzed for the rest of their lives then that go through that same as same as you people that were in the condition
1: that you were in. Most people don't survive that. No doubt. Yeah, they don't survive, or they're maimed for life, or they have a whole different um, experience. And I do know. I also wrote the book for those people going through COVID and experiencing some level of um, disability of some sort. And to share, yeah, I know, I know it. I know what it was like. I couldn't move for really months, and there was like about three months in. Zoe, my dance partner, uh, I was crying on the couch, and she said, and she asked me why, and I told her I can't move, and she and and I, I may I may not dance again and she just had me do a gesture she said dance with your arm because your right arm can move even if your left arm can't and i just went like this oh wow and in that motion now for for remember i'm a football player so that mm-hmm. that for me is beauty and just having that motion gave me so much joy and i knew okay i'm not the same person i was but i can find joy in what i'm doing now yep. and i know um everybody who's Gone through this experience, has some version of what that new normal is. And it's not fun, but within that acceptance, you can still find joy and beauty and passion in your life. I know for me, the biggest help for me was actually writing this book, writing all the time, doing the things I'm passionate about. That has been my best form of recovery mentally because I know I'm here because I want to be here. And when every day I find myself a little bit lost, I just refer to what? what is it? Why Why did I come back? Why did I make that decision to leave the library and return to this world? And I'll go over all the list of things that I'm passionate about. And that carries me through every day.
2: Awesome. Man. So most importantly, before we let you go, we have to know, are you a Jets or a Giants fan a as question. a New Yorker? I don't
1: know what the right answer is, but I'm, i am I cannot lie. I'm a Jets fan. All right, there yes. you go. Right, you're, yes, yes, yes. You 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 made Chris very happy because
2: yeah. he's a he's an Eagles fan. Yeah, so yeah. he we, oh. we would have we would have scrapped this whole hour. No, I'm
0: yeah, just exactly, exactly. <laughs> We're very passionate about sports. The
1: Jets were getting to Watson. So Jets got Watson, and then Watson. Well, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well,
0: I don't want (laughs) many more. How long have you been in a coma again? Let me catch you up on my. (laughs) We (laughs) need to fill you (laughs) in (laughs) on some info. Sean Watson has been up to some nefarious (laughs) shit.
1: (laughs) Right? It's funny you mentioned that when I woke up from the coma. I know that I told, I wanted to know who the Jets picked in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I was so excited for them to, um, to see if they, if they the guy they got is the offensive tackle. Right. And the nurse um, and I told him, yeah, it happened yesterday. Right. And the nurse was like, uh, dude, that draft was like three weeks ago. <laughs> like, oh, that, that's that's, <laughs> like, a, that's a mind fuck man. Yeah. I, I can't totally. even imagine. Yeah. That's a tough one. When you wake up and realize you have no connection to reality, that's, it's it's not it's not great
0: so you didn't so obviously you didn't keep the covid beer didn't like it you liked it you weren't you didn't want to rock the
1: I can't tell you how many. Yeah, if you watch, um I should post it. But there, there are videos of me when I first woke up on my Facebook. If you look it up on mm-hmm. Dave Parrish, you, you'll see uh when I first woke up, I had a beautiful beard. um People said I look wise. It was just itchy when I was in the hospital, and yeah. I couldn't lift my I'm arms like, No, so I couldn't. So oh, when you can't selfie, you to that's torture in and of itself. You, you can't
0: itch your own damn face. Well, well, no, oh my wait. God! Th- well, part of the book was I think that you said that like you couldn't like actually use the remote, but you're like, can I shave? They're like, you can't use the remote. You want a razor what are You nuts? <laughs> did, no yeah. man no i'll shave exactly you exactly how it went down don't <laughs> <leave>. <laughs> some, they, some tough don't new yorkers with the razor <laughs> no i'm smartly yeah exactly which especially you can't push a button on a remote i don't i just don't have faith you'll be able to figure out the razor part of it good gravy um well listen um david you've been a fantastic desk uh desk You've been a fantastic (laughs) guest. I can't speak. We talk for a living. Fucking Christ. (laughs) You've been a fantastic guest. And if everybody could please go check out the amazing story of David Paris, go out and get a COVID story at davidparisbooks.com. One of his other fine books, the middle school series or the laughable legend series, which he's going to be adding to um, davidparisbooks.com or Amazon. And please go, f- go watch out for him in a future season of America's Got Talent because he's <laughs> going to be back on soon, baby. Hell yeah. <laughs> David, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you. And, um, really well sure. We'll talk again soon. You're, you're awesome. We would have you back on anytime.
1: Yeah, man. Thank we you. we really appreciate that guys. And if you're in New York city, you know, we're hanging out. Absolutely. Totally. Thank you for uh, not thanks. dying. good right Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. and good night
2: bang